It's time to eat. Get in my belly! Sit down and get ready to consume an abundance of fantasy football knowledge from Russ Tucker and Evan Silva. Me so hungry. On the Fantasy Feast Eaten Podcast. Yeah, let's eat, baby! It is the Fantasy Feast Eaten Podcast. And if you are looking for a place to make your online wagers... Just go over to betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Use that promo code PODCAST1 to get a 50% sign-up bonus. He is Evan Silva, the master of all he oversees at rotoworld.com, and a self-described AAF lover. Check him out on Twitter, at Evan Silva. We eat every week. This is a year-round fantasy podcast. A lot of podcasts don't do that. We do because fantasy football never really stops, not only the AAF, but preparing for the next season. You you know, the separation is in the preparation. I'm Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman that loves fantasy football, loves when I can beat Evan head-to-head. We're going to have the winner of the Fantasy Feast Redraft League, Anthony Combs, come on at one point this offseason. This is part of the offseason I really like when we bring on different guests who offer a different perspective, different stats, different things that we should consider or take into account, different player evaluations, because it's hard to do that when you get close to the season. You get close to the season, there's other stuff you start to dive into and Evan's grades, tears of Evan, my old line grades. So it's awesome in the off season to be able to really get some of this other information that could be the differentiator this season. So let's dive right into it. And along those lines, very happy to welcome on today's guest. As usual, the guest is a guy that Evan Silva says, we got to get this guy on. He's awesome. we got to get him on to talk about coming off a bye week or talking about college prospects. His name is Hayden Winks, at Hayden Winks. That's an amazing last name, by the way, Hayden. And he works for Roto World. Does that mean, by the way, Hayden, that Evan is your boss? Yeah, he's uh, definitely my boss. <laughs> what, what's that like? Uh, I mean, Evan's cool. So, real quick, um, I actually got my career started because of this very podcast. Um, back in 2017, I was listening to you guys. Uh, you guys had a discussion about um, post bye week performances. Um, you guys didn't have data at the time, so I was like, okay, let, let me collect some data over the weekend. And then I just tweeted at Evan uh, one day. He luckily saw my tweet, um, said, do you want to do a guest piece at Roto World? I said, of course. And then that kind of led me uh, getting on to Roto World. Wow, that's awesome. I, I love stories like that because I love when people go the extra mile for something they're passionate about. I try to tell people all the time, like, that's the only way it's going to work. Like, that's the only way you're going to get these jobs because there's a lot of people that want them and they're highly coveted. So you got to take the time to do something special and differentiate yourself and then be able to go ahead and, and show what you can do. I love that. By the way, uh, Hayden, what, what did you find? I mean, I'll let Evan what, – what is your background first, Hayden? Okay, so um, grew up in Southern California. I went to USC to fight on everybody, um, and I studied economics, so uh, more of a math background. Um, minored in marketing. I always knew I wanted to get into sports. I just didn't know in uh, what capacity. 
So I interned at a sports agency up in LA called MVP Sports Group. They have A-Rod, Albert Pujols. Um, didn't like that as much. Uh, then I interned with USC Athletics doing some basketball and baseball um, things. Uh, that's when I reached out to Evan on Twitter, and then I started working for Roto World for a little bit. Um, then I landed a position with the Los Angeles Chargers. Um, so I was with them for the 2017 season, um, which was awesome. Uh, learned a lot of things, met some cool people. Uh, and that was kind of a, a big deal just to get um, an NFL team on my resume. And then afterwards, um, I knew I wanted to get back into more of the writing. Um, so that's when I reached back out to Road the World and that brings us to today. Okay, so I got to ask you then, what what job did you get with the Chargers? How did you get that, and, and what did you do for them? So I was in their marketing department. So this was um, pretty unique. Uh, this was right. This was the first season coming into LA. So this was the fight for LA. Um, there were a lot of a lot of bad publicity and stuff. So it was kind of interesting to be on the inside of all that stuff. See what. Uh, the game plan was um, a lot of a lot of things were new for everybody. Um, I mean, we were just playing in that soccer stadium. Nobody had ever been there, um, and it was very unique. And just everything had to be accomplished uh, like right away, and nothing was set in stone. So it was great experience just from a business perspective. Um, then I met some met a friend that's in the scouting department. So then I was starting to uh, learn some some things from him from what the NFL teams actually do. And yeah. Wow, that's awesome, man! Very very cool. And now, what what's your main focus at Roto World? So um, this year, I did some prop betting pieces for the NFL. Um, that was uh, for MVP, um, rookie of the year, passing yard leaders, that type of stuff. And then I did some, uh, NFL DFS pieces. Um, but primarily I was with the college football side. I had a weekly, um, basically what Evan does with the matchups column on the NFL side. I was trying to replicate that for college football DFS as that's growing. And then, uh, I blurb on both sides, and um, after the season ended, I've been going all in on the draft. Okay, cool. So then I guess before I hand it over to Evan, my last question is going back to how you first got the job with Roto World and how you first got on Evan's radar. What did you find with guys coming off bye weeks? Yeah, so you guys were um, you guys were pretty much dead on, so – uh, at the time, I think there was a couple players that were kind of just busting off of their bye week. So what I did is I looked at all the wide receivers. Um, I went back a few years and uh, post bye, the players either did really well or really bad. So there was a lot of there's a higher bust rate in post bye than uh, the other weeks of the season. Um, that was not too surprising. For me, just because I think these players, um, Rashi might be able to, uh, do obviously know this better than I do, but uh, I think they get in a rhythm, and maybe the bye week might get off of that. And I think uh, 
coaches might change their game plan and that will throw off somebody that's uh, kind of been hot recently and maybe the bye week will um, get them off of their either their schedule or off their game plan. So you'll, you'll see a higher bus rate coming off the bye week, um, but there's also a, a higher ceiling. So um, some of these players that were kind of struggling going into the bye, they could have um, a, a big week uh, afterwards. So you, you'll kind of see what we call a bimodal graph. So um, people on the front end where there's like scoring like less than six points and then uh, a higher bump at people scoring like plus 18 points. So I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but that was, that was the general idea. Awesome. Um, and I'm glad, I'm glad I really am into people doing the legwork for things I don't feel like doing and proving me right. So, hey, you're going to go a long way in this world if you just keep doing that. Just keep listening to me just spout off opinions or thoughts without any information whatsoever to back it up. And then do the research, get the numbers, and if it backs me up, let me know. If it doesn't, just forget about it. Don't worry about it. Um, that way I can have data to back, to back me up. So, um, no, that's awesome, man. And, yeah, I, look, there's a lot of reasons it could be. Some of it's rhythm. Uh, you know, it depends on what they let the guys do for the bye week and what those guys get into. And uh, there's a lot of different factors that could be in play there for sure. Evan, I'll let you have at it with your buddy. I, so I guess you kind of answered this, Hayden, but I got to ask you again. What is Evan like as a boss? Because he's terrible as a co-host. I mean, he's just <laughs> he's awful. So I can't imagine what he'd be like as a boss. Uh, well, I would say he's very direct. Um, I, right when we were first, uh, talking, I, I was admittedly pretty nervous to talk to him. Uh, that wasn't because of who he is as a person, but just cause his following and stuff. And I was like, well, I have like 300 followers and I'm talking to somebody that's actually, uh, moving the needle here, but, uh, like definitely direct, want to get straight to the point and like, just show them, show them the results, like, uh, prove it and then you'll be fine. I love it. It's all you, Evan. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, one thing I wanted to note is that the, usually the conversation weekly that we have about the post-buy performance isn't necessarily about specific players, although after Hayden did that research, then we really extended it to specific players because, hey, you know, we had some evidence that it, that it, do, that because of, that it does lead to higher variance results from fantasy-wide receivers. Um, but we usually talked about it in terms of just how a team would perform. Um, and, you know, since we have really started to talk about that, I mean, I think we've kind of un- gotten to the point where we understand why it may be. And it's almost intuitive. We've gotten to the point where we kind of expect teams to either let down or, you know, just come out of the bye, you know, sw- like just swinging full bore. Um, and I think that it, it also kind of is a testament to, that, that the Andy Reid statistic of how good he is coming off of a bye, that's like a skill. And, you know, how consistent that he is, whereas a lot of teams and even now players, as, as Hayden showed, um, are higher variants coming off of that that uh, rest week where they, you know, they go see their family or, you know, they get out of their rhythm, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, yeah, I think that that's a really interesting conversation and we've been able to kind of profit off of it um when we talk about 
these games from a sports betting standpoint, uh, and certainly when we talk about wide receivers in DFS coming off of uh, bye weeks. So, Hayden, you spent a year with an NFL team that actually doesn't have an analytics department. The, the, the Chargers do not have an analytics department. They may be the only team in the NFL that doesn't have one. Um, I think that they do use analytics. Their GM may use analytics, but I think that they do not, uh, or I know for sure that they don't have a, a, an analytics department, or at least as of last December. Um, and you have done a bunch of analytical write-ups since the end of the season, looking at statistics that were actually predictive toward NFL success. And you can anybody can go look at uh, all these articles. They're all posted on rotoworld.com under the, the college football tab, or you can just go to Hayden Winks' Twitter, at Hayden Winks. He's got them all posted there. So, um, Hayden, after doing all this research, after spending a year with an NFL team, what are your takeaways? What? How do you think that NFL teams can use analytics during the NFL draft specifically? Yeah, so that gets into basically two parts. You have your player evaluations and then everything else. So um, I think before you even get to your player evaluations, your um, postseason work, What? Where did, where did you struggle? Where did you win? So, I mean, using any of the data points that, like, Warren Sharp will have, um, that needs to be the first step. So that definitely falls under the analytics branch. Um, you can use that towards free agency, um, predicting where players are going to, um, how much they're going to sign for. You can use analytics doing that using past player contracts. Um, then you have uh, trading picks. Um, we've seen the research about trading back uh, in the draft. So there's analytical work to be done there. Um, and then you could be forecasting where players are going to be drafted. Um, I'm going to be doing some of that that stuff um, in future columns at Roto World, um, just using c- composite big boards and mock drafts and stuff. Uh, there's some cool uh, predictive stuff that you can do with that, and then that's when you get into your player evaluation. So even before you get into the combine, how these players did on the field, there's like three or four steps that you can be going through if you're going to be using analytics full time. So then when you're getting into your player evals, um, obviously you have a ton of college football data. The college football data is only going to get bigger. It's nowhere near what we're used to with the NFL. But um, the NFL teams probably have more access than what uh, the public has. Um, but regardless, you can be building models off of the historical data using uh, on-field production, on-field efficiency. Then you can move on to the combine. Uh, there are positions that the combine matters. There are com- uh, positions where the combine largely doesn't matter. Um, and that's where I think combining the combine with um, how they produce on field, you can build some pretty cool models. Um, I'm testing a bunch. Uh, I'm going to get all the data for these players. And then I'm going to be building an analytics top 300 big board. I've never seen one. Um, they could be out there. Uh, but it's going to be purely based off analytics using models and um, positional value and all that stuff. So there's, there's a lot of steps that you can be taking. I hope that all these teams are taking them. Um, I'm sure some teams are much better um, than others, but it just comes down to um, using the historical data and then 
um, valuing whatever new metrics you can get that don't have historical data. So you can't put those in your models, but they still hold relevant. So um, there's new companies, uh, SIS, Sports Info Solutions, um, Pro Football Focus. These companies have um, awesome new metrics. So then it's just about valuing where you put those into the equation. Sorry, I love the idea of teams trying to figure out ways to predict what other teams are going to do in the draft. You know, and I mean, we're never going to get to the point where you can definitely predict what another team is going to do with like a very high level of certainty. But if they do start to invest in, you know, ways to um, be able to predict to outpredict their opponents in the draft that they could create an advantage, like a, a foresight having advantage um, and, you know, be able to maybe anticipate what their opponents are going to do in the draft. And, you know, just any little competitive advantage can wind up giving a team a large advantage, um, you know, in a, in a league where to win the Super Bowl, you've got to finish first out of 32. That's hard to do. You know, that's hard to do in any field to finish first out of 32. And so you need to try to figure out all the different ways that you can get an advantage like this compensatory thing. The compensatory draft pick uh, thing right now is a huge advantage that teams like the Patriots and the Eagles have been able to exploit. Ross wrote about it, I think, last November or December for The Athletic. And he was like, you know, it's just gotten to the point where it's, it's working against parity in the NFL and the smart teams are like crushing it. And a lot of teams just totally ignore it. And they're like, Oh, you know, Hey, if we get a compensatory pick, Oh, great. You know, but like a lot of teams are like, yo, we're going to use this to our advantage. And, you know, that can be uh, applied to a lot of different areas in the NFL. And the smart teams are looking into all those areas where they can carve out an advantage. And like, Trying, you know, being able to predict the draft better than your opponent and make anticipatory moves based off of that could be a, like kind of a new frontier. So I think that that's really interesting that you brought that up. Um, so what were your main take? So you did all these, you did articles like on every position, I think even defense. I just read the offensive one. Sorry, sorry, Hayden. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I just yeah. said that for everybody. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but you wrote this big series, and uh, what were your main takeaways for the offensive skill positions, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, um, and tight end? All right, so I'll start with the quarterback. So um, basically what I did, used historical data, and then I just grabbed your basic college football stats, um, like the ones that you'd be accustomed to, yards, uh, touchdowns, some of those metrics, Um and then I looked at a bunch of NFL stats, and then I saw what correlates with what. So you can look at, um, for example, the quarterbacks. You can see their touchdown rate in college and how correlated that is with their touchdown rate in the NFL or their uh, touchdown-interception ratio or fantasy points per game. So um, there's these cool charts. If you look at them, um, you'll see dark green versus like light colored things. It's, it'll be really obvious if you uh, go to any of the articles and look at them. Um, so specifically for the quarterbacks, um, one thing that was obvious was height and weight. There's basically no correlation. Um, 
there are some selection bias issues with that, that taller quarterbacks can get more opportunities, even if they're bad, and smaller quarterbacks aren't going to get opportunities unless they're really good. So there are some issues with that. But overall, you don't see um, a trend that that bigger quarterbacks are better than smaller quarterbacks. Um, hand size, largely, I found, didn't matter. Um, some guys like Jared Goff and Patrick Mahomes, they're on the smaller side of the hand scale, and they've obviously been fantastic. And then for the NFL Combine, um, ball velocity, um, that was pretty important for the quarterback evaluation, especially if you're looking at um, uh, NFL interception ratio. Um, the slower you throw the ball, the more interceptions you have, which makes sense for throwing the ball to the perimeter. Um, that ball is hanging in the air, so going to get picked. Um, the single metric that I found most correlated to NFL uh, success was college fantasy points per game. Um, that still wasn't strong, but that was just interesting. It's just an overall production marker. Um, just for reference, Kyler Murray averaged 35.8 fantasy points per game this year, so I am pretty bullish on him. We'll get to him later. Um, for quarterbacks, your rushing production in college is uh, translates to the NFL very well. Um, so very rarely are you going to get somebody that wasn't running in college that's going to run. Um, so, yeah, that's basically it. The NFL combine doesn't matter outside of the ball velocity and the actual throwing drills for quarterbacks. Um, and uh, you're going to want some production. I have um, a minimums call, uh, column as well where you can see which quarterbacks from this class failed to meet different metrics, um, historical metrics, uh, that's also at Roto World. But let's go on to the running back. You have uh, it's kind of hit and miss. A lot of these players, you'll see, um, talking big picture, they had great college seasons when they were young, um, 18, 19, 20 years old. That's when they have these breakout years. Uh, the uh, running backs, uh, they usually have a larger share of their carries and yards, but there are some outliers. You get your Calvin or Alvin Kamara's of the world that throw out all these models. Um, and that's where a lot of the debate is with Josh Jacobs this year and some other running backs. We'll get to them later. Um, but overall, you want production from your running backs. Um, the NFL combine matters a little bit more, but it's largely overrated. So we kind of see this with DFS. A lot. Um, unless you're at the extremes of some things, it largely doesn't matter. So with running backs, as long as you don't run like a four seven forty, um, you're going to be fine. There, there's no evidence that a faster forty time necessarily means you're going to be better in the NFL. But we need to be avoiding players that test really poorly. So that's an overall theme um, for basically for every. Um, player, offense, and defense, every position. Um, moving on to wide receivers, it is uh, very market share driven. So that's just percentages, percentage of yards, receptions, touchdowns that a player had um, with his uh, percentage of his yards, receptions, touchdowns of his team. Um, that was huge. Um, PPR points in college, 
uh, matters a little bit. And then I found the NFL combine mattering less for receiver than with running backs. Um, I think it's kind of hard to put all these receivers under one category though. Cause you have, I mean, there's positions within positions, um, for wide receiver. So if you're grouping in, um, a six, six receiver with a five, eight receiver, of course, the combine is going to matter at different rates and for different, um, drills. So uh, one, one idea to move the needle f- forward for NFL draft analytics is to be breaking down these positions um, more and more. Um, you can't be grouping in all edge rushers together. There are just too many different kinds of edge, ru- edge rushers. Um, you can get that with the offensive line as well. Um, so I think that's the next step is to there's enough data to get um, smaller and smaller groupings. So you can group one one project is like to find the slot receivers and just like only have draft analytics for slot receivers instead of all of the wide receivers. Um, but when you're looking at the the combine, uh, the broad jumps matters a little bit, not too much though. But yeah, everything else is pretty straightforward. The the defensive positions, the combine matters a lot. Um, the offensive line. Uh, was less important. Um, I think there's a lot of football IQ that goes into playing off at the line, um, maybe more so than other positions. And the, the combine is not going to be very reflective of that. There are um, NFL minimums, uh, NFL combine minimums that matter. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it kind of, you have to go position by position. So um, I did so at, at the, uh, at Roto World, you can find all the, the exact uh, information there. But yeah, it, it's pretty interesting just if you look at it just by a single position, there are some things that immediately pop off that matter and some things that don't. But we kind of, as a community, lump everything together. And that's where I think the edges are. Great stuff. Great stuff. So, um, uh, that I, th- I thought it was a really interesting point about the offensive line, um, how it, it might be a m- more of like a football intelligence position. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that, Ross, that maybe the NFL combine might not matter as much for, for offensive linemen? Um, and, and just general thoughts on that? Well, so I'm trying not to be biased because mm-hmm. I sucked at the physical testing for like my pro mm-hmm. day. I wasn't even invited to the combine. I wrote about that in my yep. article this week at the Athletic. But uh, the pro day, those type of things were not uh, those were not my jam. You know, I, I was much better in terms of you know I kind of got by for my seven years with my football intelligence and effort. I think those were the, the biggest things and my, my willingness to be violent. I would say that if, if you had to tell me three numbers that I would care about from the combine for offensive linemen, it would be their 10-yard split in the 40 because that's a pretty good indication of how quickly they get out of their stance, like how much force they can generate in a short area. I also think the short shuttle is important because it, it shows you about changing direction, and again, short explosive movements, which is what offensive line is. And then I would say arm length. And I can just tell you, 
I was pretty good, like average to above average in the 10 and the short shuttle. And then I was below average like everything else. And so maybe that's my bias, but I just, if you look at people and if you look at historically, I feel like those are the numbers that matter the most. Now I had really short arms, which I think greatly negatively affected my career and my ability to have been a better player. So if people say to me, hey, Ross, you know, if you went back and played again, we could make you a little taller, a little faster, a little whatever. I'd probably say a little bit better technique. But then I'd also say, if you're talking about a physical characteristic, a little bit better um, and a little bit longer arms. But I think your instincts, Hayden, are right on that. I mean, I can't tell you how many guys I've seen that could bench press 600 pounds and sucked, right? And they just didn't know what they were doing. So much of it is thinking what's going to happen, knowing what's going to happen, seeing it in front of you, seeing the clues, your technique. And so that's why I was able to, to hang for a while. I really think a lot of it's football intelligence, and a lot of it is your technique. And then a lot of it's just mental, mental toughness to uh, be able to keep battling all day, every day, no matter what. So I think you're, I think you're right on it, Hayden. And, and an interview with TJ Lang of the Detroit Lions, formerly Green Bay Packers recently. And you know, he said a lot of the, a lot of very similar things. Um, he was a guy who kind of like Ross um, has played like every position. And um, he talked about how like with offensive linemen, so much of it comes down to like consistency. So, you know, when you talk about things like, technique and you know just like the 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 willingness to do it down after down and like you know if you're a wide receiver and you have you have a drop in a game you know you play 60 snaps let's say you have a drop in a game you run a bad route in you know uh, you run a bad route in the same game you screwed up twice and it's kind of not really that big of a deal you know but if if you're an offensive lineman and you screw up two or three times in a game like that can be a really big deal. So, you know, you get your quarterback sacked, you know, you're, you're running back thrown for a tackle for a loss and you're getting highlighted on those plays. So, you know, it can be, it can be a, a go, you know, you, that consistency is so important. Um, hey, now I want, we, I wanted to jam in a couple more questions here. How do you view the 2019 quarterback class? It's, I, I feel like every day it, it goes back and forth, you know, I'll hear, you know, we'll see that, uh, there's really only two uh, quality, you know, first round quality quarterbacks in this class. Or, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll see, hey, there's going to be four first round quarterbacks in this class. So but what are your take after what is your take after, you know, paying close attention during the 2018 college football season and doing these analytical write ups on the position itself after the season? So I see it as a big three with the top two, Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins ahead. I would um, – I'm not sure if I would be completely comfortable putting Drew Locke uh, in the first round, but I think he's he's worthy of a, a pick with a big arm. Uh, and his on-target accuracy throwing deep is really strong, and he is a guy that's willing to just put it out there. Um, so I would consider him in the top three. Um, Daniel Jones is the fourth guy who might get drafted higher um, – I think he'll end up being a first-round pick just because quarterbacks get moved up. So I think there's going to be four first-round quarterbacks. But to me, it's Kyler Murray, 
number one. His numbers are just really, they're just, they're silly, honestly. He averaged uh, 13 adjusted yards per attempt. That is basically unheard of. He was first in touchdown rate, first in marginal efficiency, first marginal explosion. He ran for 1,000 yards. Uh, they're outside of his height and weight, which I struggle to believe that's actually going to be too big of an issue for him. Uh, I don't see any flaws in his game at all from a statistics perspective. Um, then with Dwayne Haskins, he was basically finishing number two in all these metrics. Um, he was first in touchdown interception ratio, second touchdown percentage, second in marginal efficiency. Um, he doesn't run at all, despite what Stephen A. Smith was saying, but uh, he's going to be a quarterback. I think that's going to go uh, top five. I think a team, some team's going to be trading up for him. And then Drew Locke will come somewhere around pick 10 or so. Uh, and then Daniel Jones, I think, is going to end up uh, sliding in somewhere in the first round. So those are your big guys. And then everybody else is a backup quarterback to me. I think it's actually probably a, a pretty solid backup quarterback class. I'm not sure how much that matters, but um, there are guys out there that should hang around the league. I'm not sure they're worthy of starting, but your Will Greers, um, Jarrett Stidham's, Ryan Finley, all these guys might be able to hang around as backup players. Really, really excited about this year's backup quarterback class. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, which uh, running backs are uh, – do you, do you think uh, stood out to you in your when you did your running back write up? And correct me if I'm wrong, but you seemed a little low on David Montgomery. Yeah, so you're right about that. Uh, David Montgomery was the only NFL combine combine invite um, that didn't have a non red zone touchdown. Um, so his let me look up mm. the exact numbers. He had 202 carries that were out, outside of the red zone. Um, no touchdowns. Every single other player had at least one. You have some guys that have um, a touchdown rate at 7%, your Darrell Henderson's, uh, Justice Hills. Um, that kind of, that's a stat that I want to look at for showing like long distance speed and breakaway, um, just your ability to break away. And I'm not sure uh, if he has enough of that. Um, to be considered an elite running back. I don't dislike him, but uh, he's going to be probably closer to like RB5 or so for me. Um, the top guys, um, Josh Jacobs is going to go high in the draft, probably a first-round pick. I think he's the only running back that has a chance to go first round. Um, some analysts have him like inside the top 10. I wouldn't go as far as doing that, but he's a strong, elusive back. Um, high broken tackle percentage. He was third in the class in broken tackle percentage. Obviously, that's going to be one of the best uh, stats you can look at. He um, had the highest difference in touchdown rate versus his teammates. So this is this is um, a stat that I've been using, and I found it uh, very predictive uh, um, how well you do against your teammates. So that could be with yards per carry or touchdown rate. Josh Jacobs was first. Uh, in that category, he also could catch passes. He had a beautiful over-the-shoulder catch in one of his games. Um, so I, I would put him close to the top. Darrell Henderson probably finished first in basically every category I was looking at. Uh, 
when I was writing his um, report up, I literally just listed off every category he finished first in. But we're looking at um, yards after contact, um, how good he did versus his teammates, his marginal efficiency, his marginal explosion. He was first in uh, percentage of carries that went for over 20 yards, first in percentage of carries that went over eight yards. Um, he averaged 9.9 yards per carry on his non-red zone carries. That's like just really going crazy. So he's going to be high on my list. Um, Devin Singletary um, led the class in broken tackles, highest broken tackle percentage. Um, he uh, has incredible jump cuts. Um, he was second in touchdowns versus his teammates. And um, just an overall quality back. I hope he can show us in the combine that he's able to catch passes. So I'm going to be excited about him. Mm-hmm. Then you have um, – Travion Williams had tested well. Uh, Miles Sanders, Justice Hill, Elijah Holyfield, Dexter Williams, Damian Harris. So that's kind of um, the cream of the crop of the class. Yeah, I just jumped into watching uh, the running, uh, the, some of the guys in the running back class, and we did a, a podcast on it with uh, Josh Norris and myself uh, at Roto World. Um, the the things you you mentioned about David Montgomery having zero touchdowns outside of the red zone, like that shows up absolutely in his games. I mean, he gets caught from behind all the time. He does look a little slow getting to the corner. I still, I think he's going to be good because he can break tackles and he can catch passes. And those are the best indicators of um, success uh, going from college to college to, to, to the pros, um, you know, just in terms of like just raw abilities um, but th- there's no question that the dude like has a-, a speed shortage. And I think that we could see him kind of tumble if he runs like four, seven at the combine, which I think that it might happen. I mean, I think that, I think right now I'm going to, I would put him at like in the four, six to f- four, six flat to four, six, eight range, um, in terms of like expectation. And I think that four, six, eight to four, seven, could really hurt him. Devin Singletary, you mentioned, man, he is explosive. Um, and then, um, yeah, Josh Jacobs. I mean, I, I think that he he probably is the the cream of the crop. Um, w- one last thing, and we'll get you out of here, Hayden. Uh, have you started to look at uh, NFL Combine or NFL Draft prop bets yet? Yeah. So I placed a couple. Um, let me pull them up right now. Uh, Kyler Murray, um, I'm not sure if he's going to end up running the 40-yard uh, the dash, but um, over 4.42 seconds. I'm not sure if you've seen the picture he um, has put on weight. I think he's trying to go for uh, Russell Wilson to be heavier than Russell Wilson was at the combine, which I think was just 204 pounds. So I'm not sure if he's going to be able to run as fast as he was. Um, Daniel Jones, under 4.75 seconds. He had a long run that showed off some long speed. I think he'll beat that by a little bit. Um, Dwayne Haskins, over 4.71 seconds. Um, I think it'll be closer mm-hmm. to 4.8. Um, Andy Isabella. So this is um, a little dude out of UMass. He flies. So he was in a, a track meet against Denzel Ward a couple years ago and beat him in, uh, in that track event. He could be running in the high 4.2s. So 
Um, and and Denzel Ward ran at. like four three two. I want to say. Yeah. So yeah. Isabella is going to be a guy that um, I'm going to be chasing. Uh, Rashawn Gary under four six five seconds. Devin White under four point five five seconds. Um, those two are going to test pretty well. Um, highly thought of in the scouting world as well. Um, and then Greedy Williams, I'm going to go over 4.3 seconds. So those are your um, combine props. And then real quick, some draft props I'm looking at. Looking forward, um, Dwayne Haskins, you can get plus odds at first overall pick. Um, I could see the Cardinals trading that pick, uh, whether it's to the Giants or to the Jaguars. Um, you can get plus odds, so I like that. I like that as well, Hayden, and really appreciate you coming on the show. Again, check out Hayden on Twitter, at Hayden Winks. Works over at Roto World with the slave driver boss, Evan Silva. I will say this, though. Speaking of those plus odds that Hayden Winks is talking about, go over to betonline.ag. They're the ones that give you those awesome odds. Just make sure you use the promo code PODCAST1. And they'll go ahead and they'll give you a 50% welcome bonus. So he just gave you some combine-related props. He gave you a a draft-related prop. Go use Hayden's information, Hayden's bets, and go with him. Go with him on that voyage over at betonline.ag using that promo code PODCAST1. That'll do it for another meaty feast. Love Hayden's backstory. Love the information that he provided. I, I'm a big fan of these off-season podcasts because I learned quite a bit. Even just the discussion we got into about offensive linemen and me telling them some things, but the things he noticed that didn't matter for quarterbacks, very, very cool. And not altogether surprising. Like I said, I like when he's got some info that backs me up. Speaking of backing me up, we got all kinds of podcasts for you. Don't let your podcast app Get backed up. Make sure you're listening to Fran Duffy on the College Draft Podcast as we go ahead and preview the offensive players for the Combine and who's the most noteworthy that we need to be keeping an eye on over the course of the next few days. Certainly the Even Money Podcast will be awesome today. And the Raw Sucker Football Podcast. we got Andrew Brandt, the former Packers exec, weighing in on a whole host of things including Robert Kraft and compensatory picks and the competition committee and a whole lot more. But for right now, I'm stuffed. We're done. It's over. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Feast podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Ross Tucker football podcast, Even Money, and the College Draft podcast, all available on iTunes at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts can be found.